I first of all want to just say what a joy it is for me to be here. A few weeks ago, I wasn't sure I would make it. Um, I was vaccinated back in February and March, and I've been tested negative a gazillion times for travels and other things. And then one of these little creepy, you know, um, what do they call them? Breakthrough viruses got me. And uh, when my doctor told me I had COVID, I thought, oh, goodness me, I have too much ahead of me to have this. But I got in touch with your pastor, and I want you to know how much I appreciate your praying for me. And I'm fully recovered, other than a little wobbliness. So if you see this thing go toppling, you'll know I'm toppling with it, okay? I'm going to hold on tight this morning. But I also want to thank you for your generosity from my time with you here in April. I cannot tell you what it has meant to me. And your faithfulness and your generous gifts, um, well, the Lord bless you, and may he multiply your number. <laughs> I am just happy to be here and to see your smiling faces. Now, this, um, this assignment this week is really a rather different one for me. I have never preached a missions revival, if you can believe it. I've preached missions all over the world, and I've preached revivals all over the world, but I've never preached a missions revival. So I haven't really known what that was. I had to really do a lot of praying, and I want to just give you fair warning. The messages that the Lord has given me this week are a little strange. I hope that intrigues you, and you'll be here every service. But what I noticed about them is that there are themes that run through them all, but there are different audiences that should be impacted by each. I hope you'll bring paper and pencil or paper and pen. I'm a teacher at heart, and I love to see people writing notes. You can write them on the head of the person in front of you if you'd like, or on your own hand, but on a piece of paper would probably be the best place. This morning, we're going to spend some time looking at uh, a man of old. The most common genealogy we hear in Scripture is, I am the God of your fathers, Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. And we're going to go all the way back to Abram this morning. We're going to spend time this evening on him as well, because I want to lay a foundation for what comes next. We're not going to spend all our time in the Old Testament though I'm an Old Testament man and it is, it is my heart's beat, but we're going we're gonna to kind of make our way from Genesis through Hebrews in the next four days, okay? So it, there should be something for everyone here. But we're going to start at the beginning. I'll just read this passage to you. It's from Genesis chapter 15, 1 through 18. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, 
one born in my own house, now must be my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now, look up toward the heavens and count the stars, if you are able to count them. And God said to him, So shall your descendants be. Then, right then, Abram believed in the Lord, and God reckoned it to him as righteousness. And God said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. Abram said, O Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? So God said to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And then Abram brought all of these to God and cut them in two and laid each half opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds. And then the birds of prey came down upon the carcasses, and Abram drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed four hundred years. But I will also judge that nation whom they serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation, they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. It came about when the sun had set, that it was very dark, and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land. This is a passage which follows the early days of Abram's call to follow God. And what I'd like for us to do today is just look at some principles of Abram's encounters. Now, forgive me, those of you who don't like um, words that all begin with the same letter, I've really failed you today because all of these are peas. We could just say we're dealing with pea soup this morning, okay? The first is there is a problem in this text. Abram has a problem, and he knows it so well because it haunts him day and night. He says in verses 2 and 3, I have no son. It seemed to destroy hope for the future. It was a consuming problem, and it plagued his mind and that of his wife, Sarai. But then... There is a promise 
verses 4 and 5. The Creator God promises, and He keeps His promises. Our God not only makes promises and keeps promises, but hear this, He is the very promise that He makes. There is no promise that God has ever made but what He is in the center of it. He is the promise He makes. As always, the magnificence of God and His promises is greater than the scope of our problem. I'd like to be thinking today about what is your problem? We all have them. For some of us, they are single, singular, all-consuming, seeming powerful. For others, we're blasted by dozens of them, and they sometimes come all in a rage at the same time. But we all probably have at least one problem today. What is it? And particularly as we think about missions, God's call, God's will, my life, my faithfulness, my responsiveness to this creator God who's making promises, what is my problem and how is he going to help me deal with it? Then there is this prerequisite. Abram, right then, it says, believed in the Lord. And the Lord counted it to him or reckoned it as righteousness. The exertion of faith in a situation that calls us to trust, to obedience, and to loyal practice. Do you believe? Jesus tells his disciples that the worst of all things is not to believe. Do you believe? And then there is the presence in verse 7. I am the Lord who is with you. I have been with you from the moment we first met, and I called you out of your home place to follow me wherever I would lead. I have been with you. I have never left your side. And I will be with you throughout your life. It is the greatest guarantee, the most blessed assurance that we can possess. This promise, this presence. Now, there were some provisions, verse 8 and following. This has to do with a covenant that is being established between God and Abram on this dark night of the soul. Sacrificial animals. God demands them. He calls for them. This is typical of these ancient treaties, that animals would be cut in half, their sides cut in half, and they were laid opposite one another on stones. Then they were to be consumed with fire. These sacrificial animals were all to be three years old. Why? Because it was thought that the three-year-old was at its fullest strength. It had its highest value. It was the one that you would least want to give up. But we all know how years go. Three becomes four. And that three-year-old's no longer 
number one. Two becomes three and takes his place. So God says, bring me these. And as in any ancient treaty, what is going on here is this. Each party in the treaty, now we know those two people are God and Abram, was to walk through the blood path, an enactment of a deadly commitment not to forget the covenant being made. And here's what it meant. As the blood flowed and as the persons walked through this blood path, particularly the weaker of the two, the one who was calling on the most powerful of the two, that person would walk through this blood path and would say as they stepped in the blood of these animals spilled out, be this unto me, even with these pieces, if I do not keep this covenant with you, I will be the one severed, cut, bloodied, and devoured. As a sign of the depth of commitment, the one who is without power, the weaker party in this treaty, was to pass this trial and to demonstrate this commitment. That would be a frightening thing for most of us, wouldn't it? To know what this gesture of movement actually meant. There is no hiding from it. For once these animals are, covered, are cut, placed there, and the blood is flowing, and you step into the blood, you are really on the spot. Then there are predators. Verse 11. Birds of prey come down to devour these animals that have been sacrificed. Now, I live out in the country in Missouri, in the Ozarks, and there are a lot of birds of prey there. I have vultures that swoop down and try to attack me from time to time if I'm not lively enough. We have bald eagles, we have hawks, we have all kinds of wild birds, and they love nibbling on dead things. These birds of prey swooped down, and Abram, already weary from his journey, and already emotionally distressed by what is going on here in this nighttime event. He's weary, he's tired, his eyes are closing. But he hears these birds flapping their wings and coming down with their call, 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 and they're, they're trying to steal away the offering he's placed on the altar. He takes his staff and he swings at them, until he's exhausted in the effort to keep them away. What are the predators in your life that try to steal away the offering you have made to God, the pledges you have made to God, the sacrifices you have made to God? There are many, and here are just a few. Maybe the birds of prey in your life are doubt, you just can't shake it. It's hard to believe, but you must. The intimidation of others, always thinking that you are lesser than. There's someone better than. Call on them, not me. 
you're intimidated by others. Maybe you struggle with depression of some kind. And you have your days when you just cannot lift your head. There is the betrayal by friends. I don't know whether you've experienced that. I have. That is one of the hardest things to deal with, to feel betrayed. There's fear. What are you afraid of? There's dread about the future. Heaven knows that in the last two years, people have had a lot of fear and dread in their lives. And we're not through it yet. What do you dread? There's frustration. Do you ever get frustrated? Frustrated to the point of just taking your hands, throwing them up and saying, I am done with this. Here's a bird of prey that may surprise you. Yourself. Self robs us of nearly every blessing God wants to give us. When we turn our focus from him to us, we're already on the losing side. Hopelessness. I've met so many people over the years who simply do not have hope. I asked a person once who was sharing their story with me, I said, of the two things, what do you need most in your life? Love or hope? And he looked up at me and just bawled like a baby and said, hope, hope, I have no hope. And uncertainty. These are the birds of prey that often distress us, that try to swoop down and steal away the blessing of the offering that we are giving to God. These birds of prey would threaten the people of God for generations And the test would be whether they would forget the covenant or keep it. God tells Abram even to the day that 400 years will pass between now and when he will bring his children, Abram's descendants, and Abram doesn't even have one yet, (laughs) back to this land to possess it, to hold it, to treasure it, to honor it and to give thanks to God for it. Do you fight off the birds of prey that try to steal your blessings? How do you do that? How do you do that? Abram finally falls into a deep sleep. There's terror and darkness and great foreboding in this dark night of the soul. But then there's power. This is an amazing piece of this story. It is this lighted torch that passes between these dead parcels of animals. It is not Abram. He's asleep. He's dreaming. He should be the one who passes between, who takes the blood path, but no, it is this torch, this light, This symbol, this presence of God that passes between. God, the Lord, does something that maybe Abram wasn't expecting. Well, I'm sure he wasn't expecting it. 
at the point in the ceremony when the lesser party, Abram, would step into the blood and vow to be treated like these eviscerated animals if he were to violate the terms of this contract, of this covenant. God steps in, intervenes, both figuratively and literally. And so the greater party in the treaty, the one who is in power, passes between the offerings and the one making the offering, and in so doing accepts the offering and seals it and sanctifies it, God is committed and will not break his covenant ever. The Lord, symbolized in this torch, passes through the pieces of Abram's offering in Abram's place. He stands in, actually takes a walk in for Abram. And God is telling Abram this. Please hear this. If you sin, if you're not perfect, if your descendants are not blameless, if you break the covenant in any way, you may do this to me. Do you see that reversal? You may do this to me. And it is at that point that God sentences himself, his only son, to die. That is amazing. I'd like for you to think for a moment about another dark night of the soul. Many centuries later, in the story of God's people, when his only son kneels in a garden and prays, and fights off the birds of prey to hold true to his commitment and fulfill the covenant that began so many centuries before. When, we'll, when we will think about Christ's sacrifice for our sins, we remember his Gethsemane experience. I'm always reminded how great was his sacrifice for us. And how terrifying that night must have been. How tempting it may have been just to pull out and say, not this. But instead, he said, not my will, but yours be done. And then there is the prominence in verse 18. Throughout generations... God is committed to us for the long haul, generation to generation. And we must consider our place as a generation in the long story of God's faithfulness and promise and presence. Okay. You may ask the question, so what am I supposed to do with this information you have given me today? I think maybe we need to spend some time under the stars. When we vulnerably share our problem with God, whose promises are always greater than the problems we share. Count the stars if you can. We're going to re revisit that tonight. Maybe we'll walk outside and see if there are any. Maybe we'll just imagine. 
Maybe we need to acknowledge that our faith, our belief is sometimes not what it should be. And venture to exert a measure of faith uncommon for us. My prayer for you this week is that this will be an uncommon week. We will be surprised at the things God is telling us, that God is calling us to, the things that God is seeking to draw us into with him. Dare we believe that God's eternal plans extend to our descendants? Parents, what do you think? The generations that will follow us and generations yet unborn beyond them. If so, should that not be a focus of our lives and give meaning to our commitments, our efforts, and our sacrifices for their sake? When the birds of prey swoop in to devour our offerings, should we not be vigilant and determined to fight them off with all the energy we can muster? The promise is worth fighting for because of all that it means to us and to generations yet unborn. We are not in this alone. The eternal has walked through the blood path in our place. His name was Jesus. And it was to affirm that the covenant established centuries before has now been accomplished. He said it from the cross. His covenantal intentions for us are real and secure and true. We need only claim them and live by them. So you ask, what does this have to do with missions? Well, that's a good question. Because I haven't talked much about that yet, have I? You can say no. This is, after all, the focus of this week. Well, I'd like to share two stories with you quickly of how this passage has worked out in the life of missions of the church in the Middle East. First of all, I'd like to tell you the story, it's an ongoing story, of covenantal living and learning that began in Cyprus, a little island off the shores of Lebanon, Egypt, and Turkey. It is a divided island because of a Turkish invasion in 1974. It is the only neutral territory in all of the Middle East. In 1984, I was asked to begin to establish an educational system for the Middle East because for the past 20 years during the, during the uh, revolution and during the Civil War of Lebanon and other of the countries in the Middle East, we did not have any pastors ordained in over 20 years in that part of the world. But we could not get them together to study. We could not send teachers into their countries to teach. Our problem was we had no pastors. And I prayed and I thought this assignment is too big for me. 
how am I going to get students from five or six countries that can't stand each other to come together at a little center and learn together and live together without incident? (laughs) And God took me back to some of my training in rabbinics. And so we created an educational system based upon covenantal living and learning. I'll come back to that story in just a minute. One summer, Pastor Khalil came. Now, he wasn't a pastor yet. His intention was to be a policeman. In the Middle East, his parents had set up in Jordan for him in Amman a home, and he was to bring home the wife of their choosing, and they were to begin a family, but he was going to be a law enforcement officer in Jordan. But his pastor convinced him to come to Cyprus that year, and he came, and he studied, and one Sunday morning, the speaker for that Sunday morning service, the professor coming in for the next week of classes, was stranded on a plane that could not take off from Italy. I had 20 minutes notice before the service that he was not going to show. And in 20 minutes, this is what God gave me. This story from Genesis 15. I preached it. There are no mistakes in God's movements. And on that morning, Khalil came forward and said, God has called me into the ministry. I just came here to take some classes, not to become a minister. I was going home from here to be a policeman, to go into the academy, but no. All those, plan- all those plans have changed in this service. I've said yes to God. I will follow him and become a pastor. That emphatic call became, for him, a lifelong commitment. Now, Pastor Khalil, now, I'm going to change the inflection of that sentence, now, Pastor Khalil, and this is his wife, Rhonda, both prayer warriors like you've never seen, they pastor the largest church in the Middle East. Next slide. It is the church in Ashrafia in Amman, in Jordan. He is also the field strategy coordinator, the first Arab to be the field strategy coordinator over the Arab world. And he has been instrumental in opening and supporting the work in Iraq in dangerous times, before the fall of Saddam Hussein and since and in leading responsive ministries to Syrian and Iraqi refugees, and there have been many who've come into his city, into Amman. Can you read that? It is not unusual for more than 500 Muslim refugees, sometimes their women are fully clothed, fully covered in their burqas, to come into Pastor Khalil's church to hear the good news of Jesus Christ 
They've read about him in the Injil, one of the requirements of the Islamic faith. But they first come to believe in him, not just to believe something about him, by coming to these services. And sometimes these services turn from one to two to three just to fit all of the people who are waiting on the street to get in. These are refugees who have nothing. They're people who need the good news. They have lost everything, and they are now strangers in this land. But God instructs his people to care for the strangers that come among us as if they were our own family. He told me recently that his call came not only from that passage and from these thoughts that we're sharing together today, but that he still goes out almost every night and walks in a desert place and looks up at the stars, and the stars renew his call. The stars renew his commitment. The stars renew his faith and his belief in the God who flung them all into space in the first place. What God is doing through him and through others in the Middle East is a count-them-if-you-can response to their faithfulness. This is a slide that shows you some of the compassion and giving that goes on from that local church and others just like it all across the Middle East. Regularly, his church goes out and they, they give hundreds of bags of food and water and clothes and necessities of life to the people who come. They go all around their cities and they ask, they beg, for storekeepers to give them things to give to the refugees because the government cannot keep up. And so they come. And what is interesting is that they say, we do not quite know what to make of these Christians. This has been a shock to us because you are not what we were always told you, or told that you are. You are different than the propaganda we have been oppressed with. And, going on, what happens? Grace takes over. God's prevenient grace that has brought them to this place. And his faithfulness brings about a smile and ministry and mission in one of the toughest parts of the world is flourishing because pastors came and learned what it means to keep covenant with God. And they took that home and have taught it. Go on to the next slide, please. This is a smile that only grace can create. I wish that could be bigger and you could see it better. But imagine the descendants of a call fulfilled, of a promise kept, and of a life fully committed. That is what missions is all about. 
And who knows just how far God can take this smile on that woman's face and spread it through her family, her clan, her tribe, her community, and change a world through it. None of us knows. There have been many verifications that these principles from Abram's life, his story, this covenantal night under the stars, is something that we should all pay attention to. And I pray that throughout this week, we're going to hear them in creative ways that will stir you and cause you to want to live this life. Let's go back to Cyprus for a minute. We had a problem. When we started the Cyprus program for ministry training, there had passed this period of over 20 years where there were no pastors, no ordinations had taken place because of the Civil War. We had no pastors. That was the problem. How were we going to solve that problem? How were we going to meet that challenge? And the promise came. When I was asked to create an educational program for the Middle East, and I had no place to hold it, no place to have students come, there was no field strategy in place to accommodate it or promote it. And the only one place in the Middle East where students could all gather, this little island of Cyprus, was very cautious about letting Arabs come in because of the Turkish invasion years before. But God promised me on a dark night of my soul struggling over this calling. He promised to provide a place there. And he kept his promise. The prerequisite, I had to believe him. I had to keep moving forward. And though it seemed impossible, I discovered that every step I took forward there was a new verification that God was holding on, that God was walking this blood path, that God was actually providing in ways none of us could have imagined. So while he was working on his part, his provision of a place, I was working on developing a suitable contextual learning environment, a model for the Middle East. And the presence. Well... God proved all the way along that he was in the process and present with me and others as we began making these preparations that would take some years. The provisions, the model I developed was one of covenantal living and learning and the principles of covenant guided everything in it. For a teacher to come and teach there, they had to covenant that they would do whatever they were asked. And so I had men with three PhDs cleaning toilet floors with students who were just barely able to speak English. You know who had the greatest influence? The students telling the teachers about their culture, helping them understand what their culture was all about. And the teachers helped the students to understand that the scriptures are open for all and true. The predators, there were a lot of them the Cyprus government, the Orthodox community that forms that, that culture that doesn't really like evangelicals to be there. <laughs> there were many birds of prey that wanted to steal the offering. And every summer for those first several years, the test of patience 
was really hard. Changes occurred in leadership, ultimately, and I was asked to go and start a school in India and South Asia. And so leadership was handed over to another. And the Cypress Center became less and less used. The students moved back to their countries, and education took place in those countries. For me, it was a time when the birds of prey were swooping down to devour all that had been offered and accomplished there. But then after several years, Cyprus is beginning a new chapter in God's story and in ours. I'll say more about that in just a few moments. The power. God definitely moved upon this project and the whole generation of new Arab pastors came out of that program including Pastor Khalil, every district superintendent in the Middle East, every student who graduated from that program are now pastoring churches in the Middle East. They all came through Eastern Mediterranean Nazarene Bible College, which has now changed its name to Arabic Nazarene Bible College. Why? Because there are Arabs and people speaking Arabic all around the globe who cannot get their education for ordination to become pastors in the Church of the Nazarene. And so this little college is pairing up with European Nazarene College to deliver the course of study online to students speaking Arabic all over the world. The descendants are beginning to mount up. Without number, you cannot count them, even when you try. The prominence, why the change in the name, why all this, why am I telling you this? Because now, apart from this college developing, that Cypress Center is being re-envisioned and will soon be a learning and living, a covenantal learning and living center again for training pastors in discipleship and mentorship ministries from other regions, and they will be coming there to learn together and sent back to their regions to fulfill God's promise, to make that covenantal place special elsewhere. It is a promise kept and growing by God's grace. I've got two more slides to show you, and then I'm done. How can you apply these principles? The problem. What is it that you lack in your spiritual life today? The promise, do you know the creator God who makes and keeps his promises? The prerequisite, belief reckoned as righteousness do you dare to believe God when he says, this is my plan for this church, for your life, for your family? And the presence. Do you know the I am, the eternal I am, in the ever-present tense, the Lord who is with you? Can you call him by name? Do you sense his presence? Do you feel the breath of his life on the back of your neck? Do you feel the touch of his hand? He's real, and he walks with us. 
and the provisions? Do you offer to God what he asks of you? Or do you try to give him alternatives? Keeping covenant with God is following God's instructions. Keeping faith. The predators? Do you beat away the birds of prey that would swoop down and snatch your offering from the altar, the altar of your heart or the altar of this church or the altar of your bedside in those dark nights of your soul when you are praying? Do they come and try to snatch it away? Beat them off with all the energy you've got, the power. God has walked the blood path for you. If that doesn't move you this morning, there's very little that can. In the person of Christ, his son, he took our place, and we are free to be. And the prominence. Begin to imagine your faith extended throughout generations, even those not yet born. Mifflinburg, Church of the Nazarene, you are what you are. This morning we see who you are. But this is not all you are. This is not all God wants you to be. This is not all that God wants you to achieve by keeping covenant with him. For mission's sake, here in your town, in your communities, out there on the farmlands, in your schools, on this district, God has big plans for you, and they are un numbered and innumerable and I pray that this week these few days we're together we're going to get excited about what God is doing and what he wants to do in your life and mine as we walk faithfully with him let's pray our father we thank you for this day we thank you for your presence here with us we thank you for your word to us what a, what a powerful story of your first encounters with Abram. We know what the dark night of the soul feels like. We've been there. We've experienced it. And may these principles somehow this week as they're repeated in other story forms from other cultures, other countries, other people, who will illustrate their, their truth, their significance. Would you just change us bit by bit until we are, as Abram was, a faithful follower who walks with you wherever you lead and keep us by your grace for your glory and our good. Amen. Every time I hear that scripture about Abram looked up at the sky and God said, look at the stars, I just love that thought, that story. And I think how important it is for us to look up and see the amazing power of God and who He is, the mighty Creator and the one who gives us hope and gives us promise and gives us life. Thank you. Thank you, John, for sharing with us. The other thing, the birds of prey. How 
all of us have birds of prey that are trying to come and steal something from us spiritually in our lives. And uh, the great example, Abraham beat them off. And how each one of us need to pay attention to that. Thank you. Thank you, John. Thank you for being here this morning. Hope you can join us tonight at 6 o'clock. Look forward to it. Hope you have a great afternoon. God bless. Thank you.